Chapter 6, we are in part 3 of our two-week series <laughs> going over how we can help our, our youth, our teenagers, um, here at our church. And if you remember, well, let's, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll, then we'll start. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day that you gave us. We thank you so much for the time that we have together. I pray now that as we look at your word, that you would help us to be attentive, that Lord you would teach us this morning that we would be receptive to the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Now, if you remember in week number one, remember three weeks ago, we talked about some statistics. Does anybody remember the percentage of young adults between 18 and 22 that leave the church? Yes. Do you remember what it is? 70 percent. 70%. That's a big number, right? Uh, I talked about <clears throat> my youth group experience and the people that um, out of like the 15 to 20 of us, there are three of us that are still in church at all. Um, people who leave church give these reasons, moving to college. Church members seem judgmental or hypocritical. I don't feel connected to people in my church. I disagree with the church's stance on political or social issues. Either it was not relevant or we were too, well, too relevant. Um, my work responsibilities prevented me from attending. 11% lose faith in Christianity completely. Four out of 10 leave but still call themselves Christians. Two out of 10 disconnect from church and express frustration about church culture. And only three out of 10 actually stay involved in church. We talked about the biggest, what I see as one of the biggest contributing factors of people leaving, and that has to do with parents and mentors, whether we have good godly Christian parents and good godly Christian mentors that are involved in the teenager or young person's life. We talked about, you know, what, what we have to do, like what, what is our desire? Obviously, our desire is that our young people walk in truth. We talked about, you know, God doing his part, us doing our part. Um, we talked about how we have to live a godly life as well. So our teens see that, our young people see that. And then last week, I pull up my notes from last week. Last week, what was, does anybody remember what our, what our, our main thrust was last week? What, what are we trying to instill in the teenage, in a young person's life? Obviously there's salvation, but past salvation, we're trying to get them to establish their own godly scriptural convictions, their own godly biblical convictions. Remember, we defined what a, what a conviction was. Does anybody remember what that definition was? Maybe it's just two. Yes. Okay, what is yours? Yeah, that's what happens when we violate our convictions, for sure. Our conscience bothers you. And, and really, how you created that is because, well, a conviction is what we believe, right? Why we believe it. And um, what we believe, why we believe it, and how committed are we to actually keeping it. And then you talked about, Vlad talked about conscience, our conscience going against us, violating us. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Um, our conscience bothering us. But we talked about cultivating biblical convictions and then cultivating a heart of wisdom. 
We talked about helping a, a young person establish their own relationship with God. That is one of the keys before someone heads off to college. Whether they go to a Bible college, a Christian college, a, a non-Christian college, a secular college, the key is to get them to establish their own relationship with God. They need, it needs to be theirs. It, it, they need to own it. It can't just be they believe what they believe because mom and dad believe it. If that's the case, they'll get to a... Someone came up to me after the lesson and, and talked about the fact that it's not just at secular college, a lot of secular colleges today, enough, right, that you're weird to be a Christian, but there are professors who their goal is to attack you for being a Christian. And their goal is to get you to not believe, right? Their goal is to tear down every belief that you have. So young people need to make their own biblical, godly convictions. And then we wanted to talk about um, how is it that we deal with a young person when there's an issue of sin that comes up. And we ran out of time last week. Um, so this may not take the entire 40 minutes, but let's talk about this today. And we can be, this can be a little more... Um, a little more, uh, you know, back and forth, a little more conversational. But Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, remember our theme verse. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God. If we can get to the next one. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And shall talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets, frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. These verses remind us, and we've gone through these verses each week. These verses remind us that it is something that we're supposed to have conversations we're supposed to have with our children and our young adults every single day. Every single day. The Israelites, they literally wrote them on the doors, the doorposts of their house. Some of them took it so far as to actually wear the law on a, like in front of their head. It says, bind them as frontlets between thine eyes. Talk about them, the verse says, when you're in your house, when you're sitting down, when you're walking. Talk about them all the time. The next verse is, I don't have on your handout or on the screen, but he talks about the why. And he talks about the reason that we constantly are reminding ourselves and young people of these verses and the covenants that God has given. Well, let's, let's look at them. If you have your Bibles, go to Deuteronomy 6. We don't need them on the screen, but Deuteronomy chapter 6. Maybe you're already there. Verse 10. It shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he swore unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou diggest not, Vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not. When thou shalt have eaten and be full. He says, when you have all these blessings that God has given you that you didn't deserve, then beware. Lest you forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. 
Verse 14, you shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are around about you. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. And we know that is exactly what the children of Israel did. They started chasing after other gods. And, and really, that's, that's our tendency as well, to chase other things, to chase other idols, other gods in our lives. We sing the song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. The man who wrote the song, he wrote, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. He wrote those words, and actually, only a few years later, he actually did wander away. That is our tendency as well. And if we, as adults, as people, maybe some of us have been saved for a long period of time, are prone to wander and prone to fall into sin and prone to leave, prone to follow our flesh, well, how much more do you think our young people are as well? So how is it that we can talk through an issue of sin? We, we want to cultivate and examine issue, uh, convictions at a heart level. So let's think about an incident of sin happening with a young person. Now, these can get more and more severe and drastic, obviously, as depending on what happens. But often leaders, parents, mentors have fleshly reactions right? Because we're, we're sinners. We have fleshly reactions. We hear that there's this, this incident of sin that takes place in a child's life. And sometimes it's even more so if it's our own child. Sometimes the reaction is unbelief. Oh, there's no way my child could ever do that. Shock. Disgust. Anger. If, there's a, if it's a public sin, embarrassment. Another fleshly reaction is a guilt trip. We talked about this um, in week one. Like, oh, a child of mine should never do that, would never behave that way. Or a Christian would never behave that way. A true believer would never behave that way. Well, that's a, that's a guilt trip. And if you remember, I, I quoted the book Wild Things in week number one. And the author says, any guilt trip is a form of manipulation. And our goal, you might be surprised, our goal is to not be manipulative parents, right? Or leaders, mentors in the church. Getting someone to do something through manipulation never works out. It never works out. But we have to fight against that fleshly reaction. Often, and this is true in my own life, I am very quick to speak. You know, the Bible says, let every man be... be um, Slow to speak, slow to anger, slow to wrath. I am often very quick to speak and quick to anger and quick to wrath. And I'm sure many of you are as well. But before we speak, before we lash out, and, and listen, take this, in, take this advice for your marriage as well. Before you, or any interpersonal relationship that you have, before you lash out, before you speak, God is the Lord of the teen's life. Ultimately, yes, they have to answer to you. They're your child or, or you're mentoring them. But ultimately, you cannot control them. There gets to a certain age where you can no longer control. I mean, really, we talk about teenagers. If we're talking specifically about teenagers, at like 15 and 16 years old, they're driving right? 
How, how old can you have a license in Massachusetts? 16 and a half. In Vermont, you can have a license at 16. So it's like the same age. They're eligible to go like, now obviously you're going to have rules and boundaries set up, but once you can't control them. Like you physically can't control them. Like once they take your car and leave or their car, whatever, it's not up to you if they follow the rules that you gave them, right? You give them boundaries, you give them rules, and hopefully they're set on biblical convictions, but once they are out of your sight, you don't know what they're doing. That's the point I'm trying to make. I had a, I didn't do too many like crazy things when I had my car, um, just like speeding and whatnot, but like I didn't go rob banks or anything crazy like that. But my first car, actually I got it from Dennis, and uh, that car, that was a dream until it stopped working. It was a 1989 Ford Taurus. Now, unlike many of you, I, didn't, I wasn't born in the 70s. I was born in 1989. So my 17-year-old my car, my 17-year-old self, were out in this car. I mean, for 1989, this car had a remote control start. It had power seats, power windows, air conditioning that worked sometimes. Um, and it was two-toned, not on purpose. <laughs> the bottom half was all like fading out. But I am extremely thankful for that car. Dennis just gave it to me. Like I didn't have to do anything. You just, hey, have this car. And uh, me and my buddy, my best friend, we, we named it the Millennium Falcon. We also named it the compost pile because the front passenger seat was always full of our trash. But um, I didn't do too many crazy things with that. But I did get into trouble I had a curfew as a child, 17 years old. I guess you're still a child. I had a curfew. You're not really, but you know what I mean. I had a curfew only on Saturday nights. I mean, I, I grew up in Hartwellville, Vermont. There's nothing to do anyway, right? So I had a curfew, and I had to be home by 11 o'clock on Saturday nights because Sunday was church. It was fair, I thought. So I'm at my buddy Tim's house in Stanford. It's actually the house next door to where I live now. I'm at my buddy's house, and I'm like, I can get to my parents' house from there in like seven minutes, but it really takes like 10 or so. I mean, I've, yeah, anyway, we'll, have, we'll, we'll not talk about that. So it takes like 10 minutes to get there. And I look, like 15. 15 minutes to Stanford, not a chance. Maybe if you're driving 30 miles an hour the whole way. The speed limit's 50, the speed limit's 50, and it's eight miles. So do the math, okay? So. And if you drive like a normal human being, you can get there in 10 minutes easily. So anyway, anyway, anyway. Um, so it, it's getting close to my curfew. And uh, I'm like, oh, man, I, I have eight minutes to get home. I got to leave. And um, I, you know, I don't know what would have happened if I didn't make it home um, in time. I didn't make it home in time, but I got punished before I even got home. So it worked out. So I leave his house, and I just hit the gas and I go. And in the town of Stanford, our lovely town, that's where I live now, speed limit's 35. It's great, right? When people obey it, it's great because I have small kids. and It's, 11, it's almost 11 o'clock at night and I take off and within 30 seconds of getting on the road, I see the sirens behind me. The, I see the lights, no sirens, but I see the lights behind me. And I pull over and uh, he pulled me over for doing 48 and a 35. And my response to him was, oh, I didn't think I could go that fast that quick. I don't think he liked that response. So I got a ticket. 
a speeding ticket. My very first speeding ticket within three months of having my license in my car. He's like, don't worry about it. You know, it's a speeding ticket. You're not going to lose your license or anything like that. Well, lo and behold, 30 days later, I get a notice in the mail that I was indeed going to have my license suspended for three months because it was too many points. It was like three points. And you can't have that many points on your license when you have with, like, within six months of having your license. So I didn't do too many crazy things, but there were laws that I broke, <laughs> such as speeding, and I paid a consequence for those things. I knew what the rule was at my house. I needed to get there. You know, I was trying to do one good thing and I did another bad thing, right? Two wrongs don't make a right. And uh, anyway, I got in trouble. You can't control what happens once that young person takes the car and goes off. You can't control what happens. You can't control what they do. Now, there are rules, guidelines that you set in place, hopefully based on biblical convictions, and hopefully you've made your child to understand why you have those rules and guidelines, what the biblical conviction is. That way it becomes their own, and they're more likely to obey it. So remember, you can't control them. Ask yourself if the Holy Spirit is ruling your heart before you speak. Because you have the choice to either speak out in your flesh or to speak being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Um, this could get harder with older kids because they just know how to grate on your every, every last nerve, right? See some faces from some, some parents of some teenagers. Remind yourself that you must love them. <laughs> Remind yourself you must love them. And really, if they're going to open up to you, if they're going to share things with you, you, they have to know that you love them. It's the Holy Spirit that has to help them to experience conviction and remorse. Pray for yourself and the young person. All of these things, before you speak, make sure you have all the facts. Make sure you have all of the facts. I remember growing up in Christian school, and I got in trouble a few times. For things I, and there were things I got in trouble for that I, that were blown way out of proportion, that I did not, because the people involved, the, the, the two teachers involved, did not have all the facts and didn't care to have all of the facts. Now, I got in trouble plenty of times for things that I, I, that I should have gotten in trouble for, and I didn't get in trouble for things I should have gotten in trouble for, so it all evened out, right? But make sure you have all of the facts. Many times we move too quickly, Right? We move way too quickly. I got it. Okay, here's another one. This is, I was not even a teenager, but this one just drives me crazy. And I can see why I got in trouble, but let's just clear. Kristen already knows what I'm talking about. When I was, and remember, those of you with smaller children, okay, there are reasons behind sometimes, sometimes they do things just because they're little kids, but there are reasons behind why they do things. I, I was in second grade. Mrs. Bailey's going to remember this too. And this is nothing against you, Mrs. Bailey. But we didn't have all the facts to this, to this situation, okay? And I don't think I've ever talked to you about this since. And I, again, I love you. I don't hold anything against you, okay? I wouldn't believe me either if I asked me. We had a spelling test. And Mrs. Bailey would always give the spelling test in the order that the list was, every single time. And we're in the middle of our spelling test. And because she would do that, I memorized the list in order. I had it down pat in order. 
So I would be done with the test before she was halfway through. Well, she gets halfway through, she gets a phone call, a mysterious phone call, and she walks out, and, and, and it was like an open, it was like a one-room schoolhouse, basically. It was an open floor plan downstairs before we did the addition, and we're all in this room, and uh, she's like, all right, I'm going to leave. I got to take this phone call. I'll be right back. I think she said something like, nobody cheat while I'm gone. And I was like almost done. And I was like, there were three words left and I couldn't remember the next word. And I was just like, I could see Maddie doing this. And I just couldn't like get past myself that, oh, she'll be back and she'll read through it. So I opened my desk. I pull out my spelling book, open it up, look at the next word. Don't look at how it's spelled. I really did not look at how it was spelled. I looked at the word. I'm like, oh, okay, that's the word. Closed it, put it in my desk, finished the, finished the test. Everybody in the room, we're all second graders. They're staring at me like I just murdered someone. And I'm just like, no big deal. <laughs> and like one of the girls sitting next to me, she's like telling me like, you cheated. Oh my God. So Mrs. Bailey walks back into the room. And of course, in Mrs. Bailey fashion, she asks, okay, I'm back. Did anybody cheat? And I raised my hand like an idiot. I, I would have been, I would have been found out, but I didn't really like, Yes, I can see how I got in trouble for that, but um, I, didn't really get a, I didn't really get to give all the facts to that one. Of course, again, you're not going to believe a second grader anyway. So, again, nothing against you, nothing against how my dad handled it, which, huh? I mean, they did behold the word. So, yes, the letter of the law would say I cheated, but the spirit of the law would say I'm good. Anyway, but yes, again, that's why I said you did the right thing. It was not. It was not an open book test. But anyway, make sure we have all the facts, right? It's not. It's not because I didn't look at how the word was spelled. Anyway, I'm teaching the lesson night. So, all right. Um, <laughs> We should talk about that after. <laughs> uh, many times we move too quickly and we fail to get to the heart. We fail to get to the heart of the child. And this is true again. Like the examples that I'm giving are, and again, this didn't, this one instance did not damage me, right? And it was like an appropriate reaction because I was a second grader. Um, so again, Mrs. Bailey, my dad did nothing wrong, but um, as children get older. Our goal is to get to their heart. Our goal is to get them to disclose what they did, why they did it. And disclosure can be the first step towards repentance. Because our goal, again, is not behavior modification, right? Our goal is not behavior modification, but it's what? True heart change. Speak patiently and gather the facts. We can ask questions like, well, what have you been doing? For how long? How many times did you do this? When did this begin? How did it begin? We want to, if we find out young people starting to enter into a pattern of sin, we want to stop that as soon as possible before it gets bigger and bigger and out of control. Any VeggieTale fans here? Anybody watch VeggieTales? There was, uh, there was a VeggieTale back in the day. It was um, uh, Larry Boy and the Fib from Outer Space. Has anybody seen Larry Boy and the Fib from Outer Space? And this little lie comes out in, in, in Junior Asparagus. Listen, there's a lot of good things in VeggieTales. Junior Asparagus tells this lie. And 
It starts off as this little thing, and then eventually the lie gets bigger and bigger, and he spirals out of control. And the lie becomes this huge monster that Larry Boy has to come and save the day. But listen, that's what happens if we don't help and, and, and nip these things in the bud. They get out of control and bigger and bigger, and they get to a point where a young person's too embarrassed to ask for help. They're too deep into it. And then there's some real, like, biblical counseling that needs to take place. There can be some real physical, emotional, spiritual damage. So when we get to this incident of sin, has this incident violated a biblical principle or standard that you've talked about in the past? These are questions that you can ask your child. Hey, when you did this, did this violate a standard, a biblical conviction that we've talked about? Now, that means you have to actually have these conversations, right, with the children, whether, they're, whether it's behaving in, in your Sunday school class, in junior church, or in your home. You have to have these conversations. Hey, this is why you're doing what, this is why we're doing what we say we're doing, because of this biblical conviction. Ask them, did, did you consider our past conversation about the issue? And these, these questions are more geared towards older children. When did, this one you could, you ask your child, when did you think about the fact that you were disobeying? When did you think about the fact that you were disobeying? Because children know they disobeyed. Even my three-year-old knows when he disobeys. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, here's a question we could ask. How did you overcome your conscience in that moment? How did you overcome your conscience in that moment? Because if we've set biblical convictions, if the child is a believer, they have the Holy Spirit living inside of them, they have a conscience, and in order for them to sin, they have to get past their conscience. Now, what's the danger if we allow someone to violate their conscience over and over and over and over again, or if we ourselves violate our conscience over and over and over again. Does anybody know what the danger is? A calloused heart. A calloused heart. Ephesians 4.19 talks about that. That In the King James, it says that they were past feeling. In other versions, it's translated as they are calloused, because that's literally what it means to be calloused. Your heart can be calloused, or, calloused, or the Bible says that their conscience can be seared with a hot iron. Anybody ever had a third-degree burn before? I have. Okay, so growing up, we, heat, we heated our house with a wood stove, right? Which they still do. And uh, we would wear, like, welding gloves when we would load the stove. But it was a really deep stove, and welding gloves only go up to, like, here. So you'd reach in, and every now and then, you'd catch yourself on the, the top of the door. And it, it would hurt most of the time. Now, a third-degree burn doesn't hurt initially because it sears, immediately sears deep enough through the nerves and cuts them off. It hurts a lot when it's healing. But I remember one time loading, and this only happened once, loading the stove and I hear a sizzle <laughs> that I'm not supposed to hear. And I look down and it is my forearm sizzling, right? Didn't feel it. It was seared all the way through. The nerves were seared. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with, with the temptation 
also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. God gives every single person a way to escape temptation when it comes in their life. He doesn't allow us to be tempted above that we're able. Yet, as adults, we give in to temptation, and young people give in to temptation. But every time we do, we have to overcome our conscience. We have to overcome the Holy Spirit speaking to us. And the more we do that, the easier it is to do. If you've ever found yourself in a pattern of sin, the first time you do it, it hurts. Not physically, but spiritually and emotionally. And then it gets easier and easier and easier to do, whatever the sin is, whether it's having anger or being bitter or gossip. Did you think about it again after? After you sinned, did you think about it again? Because I think that would be an indication of the Holy Spirit convicting. Help them to identify what has occurred in their conscience that have allowed them to break previously communicated convictions. We talked about this. Hebrews chapter uh, 3, verses 12 through 13. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Verse 13. Exhort one another daily. He says, while it is called today, which means like, again, do this like now. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin or calloused. We need to be on guard for that. We have a responsibility as adults in this church to be on guard for this, not just in our own lives, but in the lives of others. Three weeks ago, or maybe it was two weeks ago, or last week, so two weeks ago or last week, um, I challenged you, and, and I'm not going to ask you if you've done this, but I challenged you. I asked the question, are you praying for the young people in our church? Are you praying for the young people in our church? I'll challenge, you with, I'll challenge that with you again today. And I don't mean like, God, thank you for our, our young people that ride in on the bus, that come in with their parents, that are in Sunday school and junior church. Help them to obey. I mean, have you prayed for them by name? Well, maybe you don't know the names. Well, that's, that's a problem. If you don't know the names, ask somebody. We should be praying for one another. James talks about that. Talks about praying for those in the church. We should be praying for those who maybe are the most vulnerable, our young people. Many are, we talked about, they're in, our bus kids are all in public school and there are many temptations and issues and, and things that they have to face that no child should ever have to face. Even in Christian school, there are bad influences and temptations that they have to face. You'd be surprised, but your young person is going to have to take a stand at a Christian school. And this is nothing against Christian school. I love Christian school. Nothing against Christian school. But those who teach there know it because they work with the children every day. Your young person at some point, maybe more often than not, is going to have to take a stand at a Christian school. There are negative influences there as well. We should be praying for them by name. We should make that a habit. And then move from the what to the why. Okay, we know what you did, but why did you do it? 
Do you believe that the Bible has an answer for every issue we face in life? I mean, the Bible tells us that. I can't think of the verse off the top of my head right now, Dad. Um, um, like a, 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 an off paraphrase would be like something about faith and practice, right? You know what I'm talking about? There's a verse in the Bible that talks about it, and I can't think of it. Um, yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one as well. But no, there's a verse that talks about, um, well, we could use 1 uh, uh, Timothy 3. <clears throat> Not the verse I'm thinking of, but 1 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, right? All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, really furnished unto all good works. The Bible is our guide for every issue that we face, yet how often do we use the Bible when talking through an issue with a young person? Why did you do what you did? What, what was it you were wanting? Was that a good desire? What made that wrong? And then open up the Bible. Well, I don't know where to find a passage for every issue that they face. Yeah, I don't know off the top of my head either, but have you ever heard of the Google machine? You can go on this, on this thing called like a computer, or there's your phone as well, if you have internet on your phone, and you go to google.com, and you can type in the, the thing called the search bar, and you type in, what does the Bible say about anger? And you'll have all these verses that'll pop up about what the Bible says about anger. Or you can type in, what does the Bible say about, about uh, gossip? And you have all these verses that pop up. So use the Bible. Open the Bible. Did you want that more than you wanted to love God and follow your convictions? That's, that's, the one, that's one that we talk about often with, with your children when they're in youth group. I, I talk to them about, you know, because a lot of times we talk about, well, how do you overcome sin? How do you overcome sin? How do you overcome sin? And like, there's no real, like, step-by-step -step process, right, that works for everybody. But it comes down to who do you love more? And a lot of times is it, is it, do I love God more or do I love myself? Do I love God more or do I love the way that this makes me feel? Do I love God more or do I want popularity more? A lot of times it comes down to where is our desire? Where is our love? And guess what? Open the Bible. The world teaches our teenagers and young people to follow their hearts. Yet the heart tells us the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Why is that sin? Why does the Bible call that sin? What scriptures did you disobey? And then open the Bible. Are you seeing a theme? How did you feel about doing this when you did it? Okay, if you didn't feel bad, why is that bad? Sometimes young people, teenagers, children do something that's wrong and don't feel bad about it. Well, why is that bad? 
Break that one down. What should have authority in your life? Your feelings or Scripture? And then open the Bible. What other sins did you commit? Often, there's the one sin that they get found out doing, but that's a symptom of what's really taking place. So what other sin did you commit? And then open the Bible. And then speak to their heart's desires. What did you want when you were doing this? Distinguish between right and wrong. And I'm going to give every parent in this room a warning that you've probably heard. And I'll give every adult in this room a warning as we work with young people. One of the biggest sins that, you're, that a child is going to be faced with and temptations that a child is going to be faced with in their life is pornography. Because it is pervasive in our, in our, in our culture. The average age of first exposure to internet pornography is 10 years old. 10 years old. The studies prove that it is as addictive as heroin. If you have young children, you need to start setting up boundaries. And I've talked to some parents in here already that already have with their young children. They've started setting up boundaries. One, you know, I... A lot of times, it's, it's shown to them by a friend for the first time. So this book I'm reading on raising boys, and it's not just boys, it's, it's boys and girls. This book I'm reading on, um, kind of loosely reading, on raising boys, wild things, talks about having the, these conversations at like 9 and 10 years old, depending on the child. We have to be on guard because that is something that will destroy a young person's life. Lastly, help them to pursue God's word and God's Holy Spirit to cultivate conviction. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you have your own Bible reading plan where you're daily in the scriptures? How many of you have your own daily prayer life where you're daily talking to God? Let's take it a step further. Create some plan from Scripture that will help to cultivate conviction and avoid future temptation. With, it, with an issue of sin, you can create, you can Google all these verses and create some reading plan on that, but it's not a, you should be with your child or with a child, whether you're a Sunday school teacher or a youth worker, Working with a child now to cultivate habits on reading the Bible. We talked about this a little bit last week with spiritual disciplines. Our children, we've created, I mean, uh, Kristen mainly, actually. They do their devotions every morning. They sit at the breakfast table and they go through this devotional book. They read a passage in their Bible. That's aside from the, they're homeschooled through Christian, like a Christian curriculum. That's aside from what they're taught in their Bible class, Right? Just because your, your young person goes to Christian school, if they do, and sits through Bible class, that's not enough. They're getting taught. That's scholastic. But they're not getting into the Bible on their own and forming 
decisions based on the Bible on their own in their Bible class. It's a good thing, but they need more. So create, if it's dealing with a specific issue to help cultivate conviction, create some plan from Scripture that's going to help cultivate conviction and avoid future temptation. Begin with asking the question, are you convicted? Do you feel bad about this? Was there something inside of you that says, no, don't do this? If no, ask the question, are you concerned that your heart is not lining up with Scripture and open the Bible? If yes, if they are, well, how can you help them to deepen their conviction? And the last verse we'll read is 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Godly sorrow brings about repentance, change of heart, change of belief about an issue. How can we deepen your conviction and open the Bible? We've talked about a lot in the last three weeks, right? We've talked about a lot in the last three weeks. I started off by saying our goal is to have godly young people in our church and in our homes. They want to serve God. They want to live for God. They want to do great things for God. I need your help to do that. You need my help to do that. We all need to help each other in this mission. We all need to help each other. The teen years from like, now it's like, I don't know, I would even say it's starting at like 11 or 12 years old. They're some of the most difficult years of a child's life, but they can also be the best. They can also be the best. Our job is to help them, to give them the tools that they need to live godly Christian lives, to help them to grow in their desire to love the Lord and to grow in their faith. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you give us the principles, all things that pertain unto life and godliness. God, I pray that you'd help each and every one of us here to be convicted to help these young people in our church, whether they're our own children or not. Help them to avoid the same mistakes that we made. Help them to make the decision to live for you, to walk by faith, to walk in your word, and to grow each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know. And we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You could also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.